All right, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It is wonderful to have you guys with us as we continue our series in the life of David, looking at his life, and I'm excited as we jump into today's message. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. Um, well, we have this thing that we do, like as Christians especially. I mean people, but as Christians we tend to do this. We tend to lock people into who they are when they made a mistake. Right? Like we, we did it. Or, or let's, say, let's say a bad decision. They just, they just made a bad decision, right? Let's just take mistake out of it. And so what happens is, and I said this last week, and so if you weren't here or if you have the spiritual gift of amnesia, I'll remind you, we tend to do this. So like think about Thomas, the Apostle Thomas. What is his nickname? He is... And this guy went to India, shared the gospel. He did more for Jesus than we will all do collectively. And we still call him Doubting Thomas. Well, he should be Apostle Thomas, the amazing person who did all these great things, but we're still, we're still locking him into that. And we had this tendency of doing that. And I'll never forget, like, my most rememberable football game ever in lieu of Super Bowl Sunday, this same thing happened to a guy. And if you are a Cowboys fan, you should remember this. I'll never forget the day. It was Thanksgiving Day, 1993. It snowed in Dallas on Thanksgiving of 1993. And if you're a football fan, you're gonna remember this. If you're not, you're gonna now have the curse of knowledge and this will be called a certain thing for the rest of your life. And I, what I wanna do, I actually wanna bring this, if you're a Cowboys fan, I'm sorry, but I wanna bring this to you because some of you never experienced it. How about let's relive 1993 Thanksgiving and what happened that glorious day between the Miami Dolphins and the Dallas Cowboys. Check this out. Miami's trying to go in and kick a field goal with less than 15 seconds, I believe, left in the game. And if they make it, game's over. If they miss it, we win. We blocked the field goal. It's a 41-yarder. It's a first-down kick. And it's blocked! It's blocked and rolling around at the 10-yard line. You can see the ball spinning around on the white snow. And everybody's saying, get away, Peter, 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 meaning... Stay away from the ball, stay away from the ball. And all of a sudden you see one white jersey with a star on it come running out of nowhere. Miami recovers the ball at the one yard line. So they get another shot. This time, field goal good, we lose the game. How about them Cowboys? <laughs> oh, I was, a, I was a huge Dan Marino fan, so I was watching it. My dad was snoring on the couch asleep. I was like, ah, I couldn't make any noise because he was sleeping. He would have went off. I was like, you know, this 13-year-old kid. I was just like, ah, with that. But Leon Lett. That's Leon Lett. And if you know football or thought, that, if, you, if you mention the name Leon Lett, you think of that game. It just comes to you all, and it just immediately, oh, man. And here's the thing about Leon. He was actually a good football player. He lasted almost 10 years in the NFL. He had decent stats, and a lot of guys don't even make that. But he's remembered for that one thing that he did that cost them one game out of everything. It didn't cost him a Super Bowl. It didn't cost him, you know, anybody a Hall of Fame. I mean, Emmett's up there talking about him. He's in the Hall of Fame. But we lock people into that. 
And I think what we have to understand, we have a very, a very uh, okay, small view of something that's very important to all Christians. And I want to talk about that today because David's going to run into this. Now, last week we gave you the backstory. We talked about David's biggest failure. It was David and Bathsheba, right? Remember that David saw her bathing and he was like, hey, I'll bring her to me. Now, here's what's interesting, and I found this out this week, just randomly. It's cool how God kind of dropped this line. She was in the purification rite. So after a menstrual period, the women in Leviticus, it's like, you got to take seven days. He let her stay there seven days before he had relations with her. Totally premeditated. It wasn't just like, bring her over. Let's, it was seven days. So David premeditated this. And not only that, she gets pregnant and to try to get rid of everything, he then has her husband killed in battle. Horrible mistake. Well, bad decision. Premeditated, psychopathic, bad decision. And we live in a culture that if anybody does something 30 years ago, just wait till, wait till the, we got election coming up. And we're the world's worst on both sides of picking something from 30, 40 years ago about somebody and being like, oh yeah, they're just horrible, look at that. If we surveyed you 30 years ago and we could put on the screen the things that you did, you'd be like, no. <laughs> Hopefully we've all grown, but we have this tendency to do it and we could have easily done that to David, but that's David, that doesn't happen to him. And I wanna show you why that doesn't happen to him. Because David walked in something that many of us don't understand, and that's why we keep people locked in like, like Leon Lett and like Doubting Thomas. If you have your Bible, look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. Because here's what happens. He made a bad decision. He had a chance to deflect, to blame, to talk about what that person made me do it, the reason I did this. He could have done everything in the world. But David does something here that is so critically important to all of our lives. And don't you look at this in 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. It says, Lord, the Lord sent um, Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. Nathan was David's prophet. That means he heard from God, and he went and he confronted him. And that's what prophets did. They called him out. Remember Samuel? Called Saul out all the time. So he goes and he says, there were two men, David, in a certain town. David's all leaned in, listening. He said, one was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and grew it up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms and like a little baby daughter. And one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or, or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for the guest. That man had one lamb, that's all he had. He didn't have it, he, he, didn't, he couldn't have anything he wanted. He had one lamb. And then verse five says, David was furious. That's what we do. You know, I mean, let's just be honest. People who are the most critical about other people are hiding something. Anytime somebody comes up and they're lashing about somebody else and angry and going, to, I wonder what, what, what you're hiding, because it's called a smoke screen. You don't want anybody to look at your junk, so you're trying to smoke screen and call out somebody else's. And that's what David started to do. David was furious. As surely the Lord lives, he vowed, because he didn't know if Nathan knew what was happening. Any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. That's pretty bold for a man who just did what he did, right, to say. He goes on to say this. 
He must die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Could you imagine the anger in Nathan's eyes that, that, that he did all this? and he's on, He wants to cast judgment on somebody. It says, you are the man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I have anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if it had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then? Have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, now, now realize this, and this is very important, sin has consequences. It just does. I, I mean, it's, it's not, God's not mad at you, he's not upset. If you go and you commit a crime, you're gonna have to, there's consequences, right? And there are consequences to sin. I don't care how hidden and private you think it is. I, 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 hopefully this is not out there. If you're having an affair, it, it's gonna come out. It's gonna ruin your life. I mean, it's just, you can't, sin will not stay hidden. It starts off that way, but I'll tell you what, and then it's, what it does, it promises you way more than it will give you, and it never tells you about all the side effects like, like those medications do. Never does. And so here's what happens. Here's the consequence. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did what you did is secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. And then look what David responds and says. David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't deflect. He didn't blame. He didn't try to talk around it. I've sinned. I messed up. David owned what he did wrong. He owned it. That's the one thing I'm teaching my son right now. The other day, I'd, I'd go to pick him up, and his mom and grandma and their family are there, and his grandma's like, yeah, somebody's been real disrespectful tonight. And he just got really embarrassed. He looked at his iPad. I said, hey, what's going on, buddy? He's like, it's not true. They're lying. I said, hey, come here. I said, they're not going to lie about that. I said, tell me what's going on. It's not true. And he kept like, he didn't want to talk about it. And I said, so he took me to the bathroom. He said, Dad, come to the bathroom, come to the bathroom. And he talks to me, tells me that it's like, I said, you, you, need, you need to apologize to your mom. He said, I don't want to do it publicly. It's embarrassing. These people embarrass me. I was like, let's go privately. I don't you do it before you leave. I don't you talk to your mom. You don't disrespect her. And he apologized to him. And I got in the car and I said, hey, listen, there's one thing we're not going to do in this household, buddy. We don't deflect. We own our stuff. Own your junk, right? I said, why did you, why did you, amen? I said, why did you deflect and blame and lie? I just want to know why. Daddy, I was really embarrassed. And when that happens, I, I said, you know, I said, I can understand that, buddy, I really do. And I'm sorry that made you feel that way. I said, but you know, this is something that we, we just can't do, though. I'm glad you're, you're being honest with me. He said, I was disrespectful, and I'm really sorry. I didn't want to do that. I did it, and I felt really bad. I said, well, you apologize. What I'm teaching him is what many of us never do. And some of your parents that allow your children to get away with stuff and then they, they never have any consequences. Then you wonder why they're older, they go and they just commit crimes all the time. Well, they never, they never had consequences. So you have to understand that, that what David did was one word that we all misunderstand, that, which is one of our four values that thrive, and it's called he walked in maturity. And we misunderstand maturity. We think maturity is someone who never makes a mistake, who never has an asterisk beside their name. They've always done stuff just right. They've, they're, they're the goody two-shoes. They've never done anything wrong. 
That's not maturity. And I want to show you why David epitomizes what true biblical maturity is. And here it is here if you want to write this down. Because maturity is the good decision after the bad decision. We are all going to make really bad decisions. Some of you have made bad decisions, right? Let's just be honest. Yeah, that's a bad decision. It's not, what, it's not that you make a bad decision. It's do you make a string of them. Do you let one and then continue and continue and continue because that's cycles and patterns and that's not maturity. You know what a real mature person is? They say, I've sinned, I own it, and dog on it, I'm getting ready to make some really good decisions right now. I'm gonna make a string of really good decisions that honor God. I'm gonna repent of my sin and I'm gonna make it right. And that is exactly what David did. And I want to encourage you today, because you're wondering, well, well, what does maturity look like? I can't be mature. Look what I've done. If they only knew. Here's the thing. Maturity is not that you've never made a bad decision. Again, it's what do you do after the bad decision? What do you do after, when you've, again, you've ruined something, you've got regrets. It's then the decision you make afterwards. And so I want to tell you what maturity is not. Maturity is not perfection. To have somebody grow in maturity, if you're judging somebody else, are they mature in Christ or are they maturing in Christ, it's not that they're perfect. Because we nitpick people. Well, I heard them say this one thing, so they're, they're definitely not, not mature in the Lord. And we do that. I hear this all the time. I'm like, this person's growing in the Lord. They're doing their best. I mean, man, I mean, they really are trying. And then this one person comes in, the, the maturity please. Well, let me tell you what real true biblical maturity is. I mean, I, I, I know. And then they're Pharisees. It's not perfection. And so if you feel like today like, man, I'm just not, I'm not mature in, in, in the Lord. I'm not this. I've made bad decisions. It's not perfection. And one of our main values is, is that every one of us grow in maturity. Everybody's taking the next step. And friends, I don't care if you've made the bad decision. That is not what, that doesn't shake me. What shakes me is if you continue to make bad decisions by deflecting and by blaming and putting everything else on and never owning your stuff and dealing with it. That's what scares me because not only will you never reach maturity, you will wreck your life. And how many people do you know that wreck their life and blame everybody else for it? Always somebody else's fault. Always blaming somebody. It, I mean, they're, they're like my nine-year-old. It's not fair. You know what I tell him? I said, I said, let me tell you a truth about fair. I said, do you know what, what, you know what's, what's, at, what, what's, what's at a fair? Funnel cakes. Life ain't fair, bro. But that's what happens. And, and the next thing you've got to understand about maturity is this. Maturity is this growth. It's growth. You're, you're just constantly and slowly growing and progressing. And yeah, you made the bad decision or you didn't make the best decision. But it's growing from that and learning from that. And I've had my share of bad decisions in my life. I've hired people that, I, that should have never been on staff at a church, and I take the blame for it. I've sat with our directional team saying, yeah, I ignored red flags. I ignored it, and that's on me. I knew the person was toxic, but they were talented, and I let them in anyway, and that's why we suffered. And I've, I've had to go and sit in front of our directional team, and I've had to be humble. And I've had to say, and people, and here's the thing, people will tell you, oh, no, 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 don't take the blame. True leaders take the blame when everything goes wrong, but they don't, they don't take the credit when everything goes right. All right. That's what true leaders do. Poor leaders want the credit when everything goes right and want to deflect when everything goes wrong and it's not their fault. 
And so I've had to do the same thing, and I've had to realize this, that maturity is not perfection and it's not growth. Maturity is the ability to look at a bad decision and then make better decisions. But here's my fear, guys. I want you to write this down. This is very important. Because if we misunderstand maturity, then we will live by shame instead of guilt. If you don't understand what maturity really is, you will literally beat yourself up and replay over and over and over and over what you could have done differently, what you did wrong. And you will, my, again, my therapist helps me with this a lot because I'll go in with regret and, and they're saying shame starts coming in. And he helps you understand that you, you cannot do that. See, guilt's different than shame. David was guilty. David's like, yeah, I sinned. I messed up. I'm gonna make it right. That's guilt. And thank God for the Holy Spirit who gives us our conscience that, that talks to us about sin and that we're, the very fact, here's the thing too, the very fact that you feel bad about sin shows that the Holy Spirit lives in you. It's not, I mean, struggle is okay. The very fact you struggle means the Lord is within you, right? The Holy Spirit's just saying, uh-uh, 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 that ain't right. But it, and that's guilt, and guilt will drive you to repent. Godly sorrow will drive you to repentance, right, as Paul says. But if you live in shame, what you'll do is you will deflect, you will blame other people. You will begin to, to, to beat yourself up. And what that will do is that keeps you in cycles and patterns in your life. And you've got to understand the difference of that is that a mature person will have guilt, but they will never let guilt turn into shame. Because Satan, again, as I said uh, last week, Satan will use shame against you. And so what do you do? If you're gonna be mature, here's what I want you to do. Maturity means making constant progress even when you regress. Constant progress even when you regress. Here's what I mean by that. You cannot, when you're looking to change your life, when you're tired of cycles and patterns, for you maybe it's debt. You're tired of living in credit card debt. It is a stressor and you're sick of it and you're gonna get out of debt. Guess what's gonna happen if, you've been, if, you, if you spent 20 years ringing up credit cards, you ain't gonna break it overnight. Right. You're gonna have a really good run and then you, you may have, have, have some regression. When it comes to anger, which is, a, a, which is sinful, a lot of times as men, we, we pride ourselves on it, right? Offense and anger. If you struggle with that, you're gonna do really good for a while and then guess what's gonna happen? Triggered, and you're gonna go off the handle. You're gonna be like, man, and then you have to make the decision. Am I gonna make a good decision and repent and be humble or just roll with it? If it's an addiction that you struggle with, I hope that you, ne I, I hope you go from day one to your day of your death and never touch it again. That's my prayer for you. But one of the things we do sometimes is that we, we don't understand. We, we set ourselves up for failure because, oh man, we mess up one time, then boom. That's what happens, and then the downward spiral. And you've met people like that. They've dealt with alcoholism or drug addiction, and they do really well, and then boom, they get the one, the one taste, and you don't see them for weeks or hear from them, right? Yep. They're gone, AWOL, because they let shame enter in. And you're going to, I tell people all the time, when you're dealing with childhood trauma and you're healing your inner child that was neglected and abused and abandoned by your parents, some of your parents had perfectionistic standards, and, you're, and you have a lot of trauma, and you have triggers that come out. It is not point A to point B like this. Here's what growth looks like. And then one day though, guess what? You look back and like, man, look how far I've come. 
man, I, I cannot believe it. But you have to bake into the process of maturity for progress. You've got to bake in regression at some point that you're going to make. See, that wasn't David's first bad decision. David had other bad decisions. And maybe he thought he was okay and, man, I'm, I'm doing great. And he made another impulsively bad decision. He'd done that before. He counted the census. God said, don't count the army. What did David do? Counted the army. <laughs> I don't want you to do that. And I want you to be encouraged because some of you will have that happen as well. And when that happens, do not throw out the whole thing because you've had one bit of regression. That will happen to you. And here's what Peter writes to the people in the first century he was ministering to. In 2 Peter 3.18, I love this. He says, rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You must grow. Do you know what maturity is? It is a commandment in the Bible for all of us to follow. Maturity is getting better every day. Maturity is seeing the best version of ourselves as God has intended us to be, that abundant life, and go. Peter says, not like, well, if you want to grow, you can grow. But if you don't remain stagnant, it's cool. Just come to church and hang out and be stagnant. You want to be lukewarm? Yeah, you know, you No, he says, you must grow. You must mature. That's why it's one of our values that thrive. And we want you to mature. But I don't want a bad decision or you slip back into something to hold you back from all God, God doesn't get mad at you, I said last week, he wants you to understand that is gonna happen, it's how you respond to it. So there's three things about maturity I want to close with today. And look at 2 Chronicles 7:14. David's son Solomon wrote this. It was telling the children of Israel, how do you come out of a funk if you've made a bad decision, if you've been in the ditch, if you're not listening to God and obeying God, how do you get out of that? He gives three things, he says in 2 Chronicles 7.14. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, the first one is this, maturity is proactive. Maturity is going after something, right? He says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Do you wanna grow? Be proactive. Go after the Lord Jesus Christ. Open your Bible, turn on worship music, listen to sermons more than once a week. You must grow, and it takes being proactive. A lot of times we think as Christians, well, I'm good because I don't do anything wrong. You don't do anything right either. <laughs> you don't obey Jesus. You've never shared your faith. You don't read the scriptures. You don't tithe. You don't serve. I, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's not what God's asking. He wants you to be pro. If my people will. See, some of you want a result from God, but you are not willing to do what God's asking you to do, which is simply seek me. God, fix my, seek God. God, get rid of this addiction. Seek the Lord. Go after him. God, I want help in this area. Seek the Lord. And Solomon says, if you, first, the first thing you gotta do is you gotta be proactive. You take the first step. And then he says this, maturity is proactive, but maturity is also reactive. Maturity is not just going after God, but here's the second thing he says. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, he says, and turn from their wicked ways. Maturity is reactive. It's seeking God, and it's getting rid of the things in your life that are displeasing to God that are hurting you. I mean, I mean it's, it's those things that you've got to seek God, then you've got to go and say, I've got to start working on this. And for some of you, I'm going to be encouraging. For some of you, you're going to nip it in the bud and never do it again. Right? Beautiful. Awesome. So, so proud of y'all. 
But that's the story we tell everybody. Came to the altar, and I mean, this is my story. I mean, I came to the altar in 1999, gave my life to Jesus, never touched it again. And then you got some other guy in the church who's like, I can't put the bottle down. I can't stop smoking. I can't, like, like, I, I don't know. I, I must not be good enough. Some sin, there's, there's two ways in which God deals with sin in our life. Some things it is cut off, and it's the divine grace of the Lord which he does in our life, and that's beautiful. And even if you did overcome something like, let's say, alcoholism, and you're, and you're dealing with that, and you're going through the steps, and you're growing in that, that disease, which is, is, it, is a, it is a disease, and you're growing in that, I want you to realize that for, there might be something else in your life, again, that, that God, if you've cut it off, that it's slowly you're getting rid of it. Right. Be kind to yourself, but you've got to deal with the things in your life. That's what David looked at. I have sinned against the Lord and I will make it right. It's proactive. Seek God is reactive. And then finally, here's what maturity is. Maturity is restorative. If you'll seek God, if you'll turn from the things that, that are displeasing to God, maturity is restorative. Second Chronicles 7, 14 says this, and I will hear, that's God saying, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and restore their land. Israel was disobedient to God. Off the rails, crazy train off the rails, right? And God says, here's what I need from you. This is what maturity is not, that you're off the rails. Maturity is not that you've walked away from God. Maturity is you're going to be proactive. For some of you today that's not seeking God, you need to give your life to Jesus. Stop just coming to church. Jesus wants to be your Lord. And you're going to do that. For some of you Christians in here, seek God again, man. I know you may not feel it. I mean, it's hard. I don't really feel it. I don't feel on fire. If, if you live by feelings again, you're going to be in trouble with your faith. Seek the Lord. Open the scriptures. Be proactive. And it's reactive. There are things in your life that you're tired of. You're just tired of it. You're tired of dealing with it. Be reactive. Deal with those things. Be brutally honest about how bad it really is. Until you can be brutally honest with how bad the situation really is, you can never get the help you need. And you can be brutally honest this week. You can say, I'm tired of this. This is destroying me. I'm sick of this attitude. I'm sick of this stuff in my marriage. And you're going to be dealing with things. And God says, if you'll seek me, if you'll take inventory and start dealing with stuff, here's what God promises. He says, I will, I'm going to forgive you. Forgiveness in Christ is there. And I'm going to restore the land and heal you. Isn't that beautiful? Those are promises of God. Amen. So as we close today, I don't know where, where you're at. I don't know what, what type of regrets and stuff are, are in your mind. But as you look at David today, I want you to say, you know what? It's the decision after the decision. That's what maturity is. That's what I'm going to do. I mean, some of you may have had a terrible fight before you even came to church this morning in the car. And you walk into my, hey, Pastor, good to see you. Life's good. It's not that you fight. I'm telling you this one. Yeah, it's not good friendships, good staff, and good marriages. It's not that you fight. It's what you do after the fight. Do you repair? And if you don't, again, in anything. So for you guys, I want you to realize it's what you do once you leave for today. You're going to seek God, take inventory of the stuff that's, that's, that you're just tired of. And guess what? As you do that and you bring that to the Lord, He will heal you of whatever's causing you to go back to those things. He's going to forgive you, and he's going to bring restoration into your life. That's what maturity is. It's taking broken people to become whole, and they're trophies of God's grace and God's mercies.
Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you. We thank you that in Jesus Christ we have forgiveness. We thank you that we bring our sin to you and we're honest. You're not mad at us. You want to talk to us about it. You want to help us with it. You want us to grow into the best version of ourselves to experience the abundant life that you've given us, Lord. So I pray for every person in here today. Give them the fire and courage to begin to seek you, to be proactive. Give them the courage, Lord God, to be reactive, to begin to react to the things in their life that are causing the harm and the sin and all the things they're dealing with. And God, I pray that they would see the restoration of the Lord in their life, Father. I pray they would see that. I pray, God, that people today would understand what true biblical maturity is. And I pray for all of those in here that are beating themselves up today. They've had a lot of imaginary conversations this week. They're replaying things over and over in their head. And God, you're telling someone right now, release it instead of replaying it. Release it instead of replaying it. I pray, I pray right now, Lord, that shame would turn into guilt that would lead to repentance that would drive them to you, Lord. And as we're praying today, church, as I said earlier, for some of you to be proactive to seek God, your next step is giving your life to Jesus, surrendering to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is your day to do that. I want you right where you're at, whether you're in here physically or online, I want you to pray this prayer after me, and it's this here. You say, God, I need Jesus. I turn from my wicked ways. I turn from my old life. I surrender my life to Jesus. For I believe he is Lord. I believe he died on the cross and rose again on the third day. I believe he is the son of God and the only way to heaven. Today, I give my life to you, Jesus. In your good name I pray, amen, amen.